if you are a younger listener and you don't have old people in your life, and by old I mean people who are about 30 years older than you, you will have such an advantage of getting through life if you cultivate those kinds of relationships. You'll be pleasantly surprised if you get to know them, how much they can give to you and how much they're willing to give to you. Hey everyone, I'm Jana Panaritis and you're listening to the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. True story. Last week at a holiday party, a friend introduced me to someone who looked to be anywhere between 45 and 60 years old. My friend told her about this podcast and the fact that I interview caregivers and other folks about aging. Right away, this woman looked at me with a mix of fear and disbelief. She said, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't know who's going to take care of me. To which I replied, I'm in the same boat. And so is my sister. Our plan is to live near each other to the end. Well, I think today's guest would like that strategy as a starting point. Joining us is Chicago native Joy Loverdi, author of a new book titled, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? Plan Now to Safeguard Your Health and Happiness in Old Age. Joy is a consultant, speaker, and writer who's been advocating for the needs of our aging population since 1989. Her work has been featured on The Today Show, The CBS Early Show, and NPR, as well as in USA Today and The Wall Street Journal, to name just a few major media outlets. Joy Loverdi, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the AgeWise Podcast. Thank you for having me. In your book, you note that you've been a family caregiver for most of your adult life. Tell us about that and if any part of that experience really got you to thinking about your own aging. Well, I am still a caregiver. My mom lives with us. and She is 91. So oh, wow. the experience of actually giving care to her and now friends and other relatives is front and center. And I don't think that transition ever goes away. Somebody we love always needs something, right? Yeah. So the advantage of all this is that Throughout my life, which started at the age of 14, when I became aware of what this caregiving was really all about, is in the process of caring for someone, you also get to know them and have the advantage of talking to them about life in general. See, these people become our future. They are our future. And so here you are, you have a, you have a living answer standing right in front of you. Uh-huh. And that's how I've always viewed caregiving. And when does old age begin for you? What's the starting point and why? I begin at the age of 90, though a lot of people think it happens earlier for them, which is fine. There are no judgments or predetermined times. And for many people, it isn't even a number. Old age for some people begins when they stop learning and they Mm -hmm. stop giving. Mm -hmm. So all of those are part of how I see uh, old age is when you just give up. Oh, that's interesting. I was really moved by the story of your friend Marty, who lives in the assisted living facility. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that relationship a little bit and how he ended up there? Sure. So uh, my friend Marty was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the age of 55. And he knew not being married, being childless, and not having siblings or anyone to care for him, he knew his only option would be to go into a community that would care for him. And his 
chronic disease became so severe that he knew assisted living was the only kind of level of care that he could really have. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't going to be a casual thing. It was going to be skilled people who knew how to do this. Now, the thing about Marty is he went into this situation knowing he would be the youngest person there. He has since lived in several communities for the past 17 years. So his experience of what it's like to be cared for by strangers is something that will probably be inevitable for us. Mm-hmm. Marty and I have been friends for 20 years. I knew him before he went into assisted living. So you can imagine how our relationship has evolved yeah. and his physical and mental experiences evolved as well. Uh-huh. So that's who Marty is. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you said you speak to him almost every day. I'd like you to talk about the benefits for each of you and what those conversations are like. Well, he's my insider. I couldn't uh-huh. write this book without him. He, he's told me things that I never would have imagined on what it's like, for instance, to hit your call button and not have anybody answer it. Oh. Uh, that's not an unusual experience, I'm mm-hmm. told. So mm-hmm. what do you do? He talks about despair and what that is like. Marty is, to me, the epitome of being honest with someone else and having someone be compassionate. He does as much for me as I do for him. He has taught me the value of having someone to talk to about the real stuff, yeah. that not being judged. That's an invaluable friendship but you have to cultivate them. A lot of people abandoned Marty. When he got sick mm-hmm. and he went into assisted living, he, his friends disappeared, but I didn't. I think it's really hard for people to, and Marty even alludes to this in the part of the book where you talk about his getting a little short with you and saying, well, no, you can't imagine what it's like to be in here. I, you know, I can tell you, but you can't imagine. And, and that's a fair point. My mom was in an assisted living mm-hmm. facility for a while. And she went through that experience. That's such a huge transition for someone who's used to being independent and able-bodied and making decisions for themselves to be completely dependent on a team of people who may or may not be answering your calls, as you said. I think it's really hard for people on the outside to appreciate that. Yeah, and this is a revolving door of strangers. Not Uh that the same person comes in and out. Yeah, it is people who come and go. Uh And Marty has taught me how you, you, you don't get to rely or create relationships with these people because they move on to better jobs. Right. Tough. It's, it's tough, yeah. So I know that back in the early 90s, you published a book, The Complete Elder Care Planner, which we should note for listeners is a bestseller, and it's in its sixth sixth edition, right? You So you went from researching and writing about yeah. Yeah, you went from researching and writing about elder care and caregiving to helping people prepare for their own aging with this book. Yeah. So what would happen is whenever I gave a keynote or a presentation or a workshop about the complete elder care planner. So here I am in front of people. This is the 80s, the 90s, early 2000s. Inevitably, after every presentation, people would come up to me and they would say, I'm taking care of my parents, but who's going to do this for me? Now, this was a long time ago, and we're talking almost 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I knew that the timing wasn't right to write the book that I knew was going to be written almost 20 years ago. So I began to think about who will take care of me when I'm old, the book. 
a long time ago, but it was too soon. People were still grappling with elder care. Okay. It was still too enormous of a need in uh-huh. their life uh-huh. for them to take a deep breath and start thinking about themselves, which is a good thing. Yeah. So now many people are settled in that role uh-huh. or they're over it. It's it's now they're not caring for parents. Yeah. And now the appropriate time. And um, the neat thing is, is, is our children and grandchildren are now the recipients of my first book. The uh-huh. Complete Elder Care Planner is now attracting people 35 to 50. Which makes complete sense. Yeah. Now looking, yes. And now they are the recipients of that book. And in the meantime, I tell everybody, yeah, 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 but you can't rely on anybody anyway. So you just go ahead and you deal with your own needs at the same time. And you're lucky if you have somebody to care for you like you did for your parents. Yeah. I like the point that you make about the importance of saying living solo as opposed to single. And that single implies the state of not being married, which is a really interesting point because some people choose to live solo and don't want to get married. Why is it important to say living solo as opposed to single? I love that you saw the distinction. Um, I did that on purpose because people who are choosing to live and age solo deserve respect, just like married people. Now, here's an example. If we go to a medical procedure at an outpatient place and you're having some minor surgery, the healthcare team will say, well, you make sure that when you come and have this procedure, someone is here to pick you up mm-hmm. and take you home and take care of you. Now, that is an assumption. If you are aging solo, you may not have that kind of support group and the support network and that no healthcare industry can make an assumption. There's no conversation about people who are choosing to age solo and then having some kind of support for that person. And they deserve respect, not an assumption. Say, so right. if you don't have anyone, let's talk about how we're going to get you somebody. So if you are aging solo and you choose that, and you have no intention of ever getting a partner, you don't want one, you love your lifestyle, that you love have, living solo, that deserves respect from mm-hmm. everyone. And what's your take on why we aren't really talking more about the reality of this situation? You make this point in your book, one in three baby boomers is either separated, divorced, widowed, or never married, and over half of America's 73 million millennials are single and have never married. So the reality is this is a huge cohort that is really not being discussed. What is your take on why we aren't talking more about the reality of this situation? Well, just like caregiving and the word elder care, when I began to talk about elder care in the 80s, no one knew what I was talking about. Now we're fast forward. Now we're going to go to 2017 and 2018. And now we're going to talk about aging solo. And once again, we're in the same place. People like me bring the needs of society to the forefront. And there's a new awareness. And I'm beginning with a handful of other people beginning the process of bringing it into people's consciousness. Basically, we're at the beginning of identifying it 
creating a language around it, and then creating a support system around it. Mm-hmm. So, so here we are. We got our pathfinders, and we're just going to no head in the sand over here. Right. <laughs> so I like gonna, that. We're going to open this. Yeah, opening that that can of worms with the confidence that every single one of us has solutions to these needs that we're going to drum up. Right. And that's, that's the cool thing that's happening. Depending on who I talk to, whether they're a business owner or just a, or someone who's aging solo, you can see the wheels turning in their heads. Okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. I can do this. I can go over here. I can create this product. Right. And the wonderful thing is what we're going to depend on in the, today moving forward probably hasn't even been designed yet. Yeah. Or it will be rebranded and refocused. We were talking about assisted living earlier. Watch what happens when a bunch of boomers go into that environment. We're going to change the whole thing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the structure of the book. This is really a workbook for folks who don't know. Lay it out for us. Well, it is divided into five parts, and the reason it's divided into five parts is it, it kind of breaks open the, the subject with personal readiness. spend a lot of time talking about, are you willing to talk about this? Are you willing to do this? Mm-hmm. So the part one is personal readiness. And once you get through that and you decide to take a deep breath and dive in, then I talk about money housing, the fact that we all belong to the Broken Hearts Club, which means people are going to come and go out into our lives, and that's tough. Our safety nets have tears in them at some point. Our, our health care system, and the, we may be diagnosed with a chronic illness, but if we know ahead of time, we have plans we can put in place. And finally, I talk about what I call no tomorrow, and that is creating an end of life for a quality end of life, including what happens after. My favorite chapter title is Just Shoot Me is Not a Plan. <laughs> Why is that your favorite? <laughs> oh, so many times when you when you talk to friends about, you know, what is going to happen to me if I get sick and blah, yeah, blah, blah, and they yeah. say, oh, don't worry about it, just shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, there's that no, sense of desperation a, a lot of people feel. And I think sure. it's great that you're starting this conversation and in such a accessible way. At the start of each chapter, you have an objectives column on the right, and you're very straightforward. You lay out, after completing this, you'll be able to blah, blah, blah. And it's very user-friendly. Mm-hmm. I think not having enough money to age well is a big, big fear for many people, especially now. When we're talking about the future of Social Security and Medicare are very uncertain People just don't know what's going to happen next. I can imagine even for young people, this must be especially nerve-wracking and terrifying to think about this. That is a real concern. And I gently walk through the money chapter by asking a very important question right out of the gate. And that is, what is your current relationship with money? Some people believe that money is a way into other people's hearts. And so everybody else comes first. Mm -hmm. And so having an assessment of what you're doing with your money now begins the conversation. From there, I talk about the need to talk about money. 
So I read a really interesting article that said if we were growing up in a household where talking about money to each other was taboo, then you you made an assumption that you were never ever to discuss money with anyone within the family and that it's a learned behavior. Hmm. However, if you were fortunate enough to be in a household where your parents taught and talked about money, then you were likely to do it. So the next plan of action for all of us is talking to either people within the family or a professional about money. And when I talk about money, it's not just how much money you have in the bank or how much you earn. It's not about estate planning, what happens after you die. These are all things that are not the critical crossroad of what we need to talk about. We're talking about financing a longer life. Right. If we are fortunate enough to make it to 60, we may be handed 30 more years. Okay, it's a long time. So the good news is there are plenty of advisors and we just need to begin the process. That means parents talking to children, siblings talking to siblings, and all of us making a plan. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to say one thing. Money does not create friendships or happiness. I know people who don't have a dime in the bank and are living solely on Social Security, and they have plenty of friends to take care of them because they have cultivated relationships that do that, and that doesn't cost any money. I'm wondering what the incentive was for you. Uh, I know your mom lives with you. She's 91. I wonder what the incentive was for you to have her move in with you. It was a matter of, first of all, I'm Italian, Mm -hmm. and we do family relationships It's part of uh, my DNA, Mm -hmm. as same with my grandmother living with my mother. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something that I even thought about. It's part of my Italian culture. The neat thing is, is we have a rather unique setup. I live in a high rise in Chicago. I live on one floor with my husband and my mother lives in her own apartment in the same building four floors away from me okay so she doesn't physically live in the same apartment no but she's close by right and 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 what that has done is cultivated her independence Uh uh-huh so how does she get around i'm sorry to interrupt you i'm fascinated by this because my mom's 88 (laughs) and she lives with my sister and we're greek so i get where you're coming from okay there you go yeah (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then you're going to appreciate my next statement, which is we may unknowingly be creating a neediness in our parents by doing too much. What I know from writing my first book and having been a caregiver all my life is I only do what is necessary, which means I make assumptions and I go to people, my mother and anyone, and assume that they will do things that they can do for themselves. For example, this is a great example, and it's very simple, and we've all seen this. You're both sitting in the same room, and perhaps you might say to your mom, Mom, would you like a glass of water? I'll get you one. Why would you do that, Jana? (laughs) So... I know know right away why I do it. It would be a lot faster for me to do it than for her to get it. Right, right. But what are you doing in the long run? So your mom's sitting there and then she says to you, Jana, I would like a glass of water. Now what? 
if something as simple and subtle as jumping up and creating neediness. Mm -hmm. What if that person physically can't get up, though? Are you sure? Yeah, listen to you, play well, devil's advocate. No, okay. I mean, my, my so, mom has so really a hard time walking, so. So what? We would not get up and get a glass of water be good for her? Yeah, for sure. She also has a living caregiver, so I totally get where you're coming from, and I agree, especially coming from my Greek cultural background where we just want to give yeah. and help. It's, it's mm. uh, really tough. You're needing to retrain yourself. Um, I know that you've learned in your travels yeah. about how American culture, since we're on this topic of culture, how American mm-hmm. culture compares with others in terms of the support and kindness that we're talking about toward older adults. Um, I am astounded at how many families uh, live so far away from each other. That's the biggest thing. In the U.S. So mm-hmm. um, for you, yeah, for younger people to think twice I understand the need to to be successful and move away and spread your rings and make your money and all that, but it may come back to haunt at some point. I did the same thing. I've traveled and lived all over and um, eventually saw the light that there was a time where I needed to be back in the fold, and it was what eventually came full circle. The cultures are different where I have traveled in terms of families living so far apart. Mm-hmm. But it's that way everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think in particular because we prize independence so much in this culture. It's such a feature of American culture to be independent. And it's really, I think, embedded in our culture, this notion that we can go it alone. And I think there's a real danger mm-hmm. in that you know, we fail to acknowledge the interconnectedness of all of us and our need to really take care of each other. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely do. Um, that mindset, however, is quickly going to go by the wayside. We see our parents copying that independent. I'm going to be independent. I don't want to be a burden. There's all kinds of language yeah. that those of us who are coming up the pipe will not use. We don't see life that way. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been brought up to know that we work interdependently. Mm-hmm. So I, I see that going by the wayside. It just um, I don't hear anybody saying independence is a good thing anymore. People who are aware that they need to cultivate relationships in order to successfully age solo eventually. Yeah, yeah, we don't I, have that kind of language. I, yeah, I wish we. I wish there were yeah. more articles in the newspaper about this. I just read an article by Frank Bruni, who I really admire, a writer for the New York Times, and it was a very poignant piece. I don't know if you saw it in the New York Times recently about a friend of his. His point was is that she feels mm-hmm. invisible. She is wheelchair bound. And yet still socializes as much as she can and goes out as much as she can. But when she and Mr. Bruni were out at lunch, she made the comment that people typically talked to him, but not her. And I was really moved by that. She was such an elegant looking woman. And she was probably in her 80s. In fact, she was probably close in age to my own mom, who's 88. And I guess it resonated with me, too, because my mom is in a wheelchair when we go out, and she's very well turned out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I, I guess my <laughs> point is I wish that there were more articles by prominent writers like Frank Bruni about aging in community and age-friendly communities and, and sort of the change that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Do you see that yeah. anywhere, really, in the media landscape? Articles that address it? Yeah. Well, they don't call it that. You'll usually see many articles on the topic of ageism. 
And in there is this thing about being invisible. My approach is different. I don't know if it's completely different, but I see two things happening. Mm -hmm. Movements don't take place by complaining, as far as I'm concerned. And addressing what we already know exists is, to me, beating a dead horse. How I approach it is when I'm in that situation, let's say it's my mom and me and my sisters, and we're all out to eat, Mm -hmm. and the server is not addressing her. You should see my mother in action. She does not stand for that. And she says, I'm here too. And not only that, but I'm paying the bill. Good for her. And and even if she's not paying the bill, she'll Uh say, I am here too. So she's teaching Mm. me, right? Mm. So Mm. now I'm watching this saying, I think that's a good idea for me. And sure enough, I find myself looking a service street in the eye or interrupting them when they are not and saying, I'm here too. And I don't say it in a mean tone of voice. I do it in a teaching tone of voice. Mm-hmm. It is just to let that person know we're going to be together for the next hour and a half mm-hmm. and we're, we're going to have a relationship. So that's very different, but this is how I approach it. Quite honestly, I am never invisible in a room or in a situation because I am willing to address it. Uh But this is how I do it. I consider them teaching moments. Everyone needs to do this. If they feel, you know, and I'll put invisible in quotes. Uh I say something in my book, which I, I know is true. And I laugh about it every time I think about it. But trust me, if you're in a department store and you take a couple sweaters and you put them under your arm and you start walking toward the uh, the exit, you will be seen. <laughs> right. No one's invisible. That's no great. One. That's great. You will be seen. Joy, do you have kids? It's fun. Do you have kids? I do. I have a daughter. Yes, I have a daughter. And with my, my husband has two sons. And okay. together we have 10 grandchildren. Oh, my gosh. So it looks like you know who will be taking care of you when you're old. Or do you? Not really. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, so what's your I, plan? I absolutely make no assumptions. Okay. My, uh, my assumption is a revolving door of people and uh-huh. cultivating relationships all along the way. I haven't got a clue. Uh-huh. We cannot assume that our children won't spread their wings and do what we taught them to do, and that is to be successful and on their own. So right now, I have a sister. I have Actually, I have two sisters and two brothers, and I look at my two sisters, and I think maybe they'll be around, but I can't be sure. So it's just an evolving door, a revolving door of cultivating close relationships, not with everybody, but with people who are trusting and loving and good people. Yeah, I hear you. You have some really nice quotes in this book, and I want to share a couple of them with our listeners. Here's one that I really like. Death is the ultimate prioritizer that allows us to move forward and live full out, claiming what time is left for us. Boy, if my father's death didn't shake me up and make me think differently about the time I had left. Can I ask you, Chana, what did you see when your father died? What exactly happened for you? My immediate reaction, and I'm not necessarily proud of this, was I thought I'm no longer going to be taken care of. And now I am extremely independent. Mm. But when my father died, I sort of had this feeling that 
the net that was under me in my entire adult life was just yanked away and I'm really on my own now. And then I was thrust into this caregiving role with my mom where I couldn't really grieve for him because I had to take care of her because she was just devastated. But it was a wake-up call for me in terms of prioritizing certain things in my life. So that line just really resonated with me and it was very moving. I don't know what else mm-hmm. to say about that. I re- yeah, but I just was curious because everybody has such a different death does the priority thing. And it's amazing when you ask that question to someone, what they say snapped them out of their fog and went right yeah. into, and it's almost instantaneous. Oh, yeah, for and sure. And it's an amazing, and the way that I look at it is the person who died left us that gift. I, I call it a gift. Well, it yeah. is a gift. And you make this point in the book about learning from older people around you. I love that. You call them the experts, right? Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot from my mother about how I want to age based on what I've observed. More than anything, yeah. that's been really helpful for me. If you are a younger listener and you don't have old people in your life, and by old I mean cultivating relationships with people who are about 30 years older than you, You will have such an advantage of getting through life if you cultivate those kinds of relationships. That's such a good point. That's what you and I are talking about is don't shun away from someone who you don't think looks like someone you want to know because you'll be pleasantly surprised if you get to know them, how much they can give to you and how much they're willing to give to you. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the way that we talk about aging and think about aging in this country so often is in terms of enfeeblement or decline or else the 92-year-old who's parachuting out of a plane. And, you know, there's that example and then there's the... Yeah. So there's nothing in between. Yeah. (laughs) But... There is. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know. I don't, I really look at those examples and I say, don't believe it. I mean, it's great if you're like that, but you are just so out of the ordinary. I'm so happy for those people, but those aren't people I know. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I <laughs> like how you talk about aging alone with others in mind. We talked about Marty a little bit and how he was uprooted mm. from his home. What do you mean when you say age alone with others in mind? Well, there's there's a little piece in there about how people are not taking into consideration other people. For example, you're you're aging solo at home, and you know that you've got to get in the car to go get a gallon of milk, but you can't drive safely, and you're not willing to look at the alternatives and the fact that you might get in an accident or worse yet, hurt yourself or someone else. Mm -hmm. We can't remain independent without really jeopardizing someone else's life. So making decisions in the face of the bigger picture is what that means. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to bring up? Are there any last thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, let's have some fun with this. I'd, I'd love to talk about people who think that aging with a pet means that they're not aging alone and being, uh-huh. you know, totally cared for. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Your fluffy and Fido is not going to make a 911 call for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and while our little furry family members are fabulous as companions, it's not enough. And if you do have pets, you must be responsible for letting other people know that they exist 
and uh, leave some kind of instructions if something happens to you and you end up in a hospital. I hear horror stories all the time of animals being left alone forever or having the animal people come pick them up for their owners never to see their pets again because they take care of them in terms of getting them homes and so on. So I just feel strongly as an animal advocate to be responsible if you are a pet owner. And I list all kinds of things you can do in the book, but please just be aware of the responsibility of having a pet when you're aging. We've been talking with Joy Loverdi about her new book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? Plan Now to Safeguard Your Health and Happiness in Old Age a workbook that's filled with accessible, practical, and relevant information we can all use for positive aging. I'm going to say right now, it's my new go-to manual. And, you know, I have to say, this book actually feels really nice to the touch. (laughs) So, readers, you may be reluctant to explore some of these topics, but trust me, Joy and her publishers have gone to great lengths to make this as pleasurable an experience as possible. We'll have a link on the AgeWise website to Joy's book and to the many ways you can connect with her. Joy Luverti, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been really great talking with you. And thanks for this wonderful book. I can't wait to dive I, in. I loved every minute. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. And don't forget to check out some of our other episodes. Head on over to agewise.com, that's A-G-E-W-Y-Z.com, and use our search feature to discover some great conversations with guests who talk about issues of specific interest to you. You'll get tips, find links to useful information, laugh, cry, and best of all, know you're not alone. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.